We're going to continue this morning in the new sermon series. Uh, we've been looking at the uh, book of 1 Corinthians, kind of coming off of uh, last week, which I just wanted to kind of start with saying, you know, what an awesome opportunity it was to share communion together last week and to really be able to expound on what communion means for the community of faith. We've been, over the years, we've grappled with how much we talk about communion during communion. And honestly, last week, it's like, that's about right, 45 minutes. But that's the whole service, <laughs> you know. And uh, honestly, we could have gone longer even, I think, on doing that. But what an awesome opportunity. And I was just blessed all week. Hopefully you were too. I was, I was uh, struck by the fact that in Passover celebration, I was reading in the Old Testament, it was a seven-day celebration of, of the Lord's table just to thank God for his salvation. And uh, I was encouraged by that all week. And so hopefully you were as well after last week. Um, actually, I have a couple remnants. I, I came in here, we were here last night for open rehearsals, and I realized that all the stuff was still set up up here, and so I took it all down. But it reminded me of the reality that we go now in the book of Corinthians. I've been telling you everything's connected, one thing to the other, and, and the book moves quickly through these things. But it, we go now from Paul remembering what he taught the church, which is that we ought to not forget Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, that whenever we break bread and, and uh, drink from the cup, we're, we're proclaiming his death until he returns. But the text now moves in chapter 12 from that idea of communion table to the idea of gifts and giftedness. Right? And I don't think that's an accident that those things are linked. As a matter of fact, we've been listening, as Paul's been writing to the church in Corinth, about how Christianity, about how the gospel of Jesus Christ is participatory. And it's not participatory in the way that we save anybody. And it's certainly not that we save ourselves in any way. But we get to co-labor with the Lord in proclaiming this great good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And so, very much in the idea, Paul's been like, we, are, we get to, you know, the, the cups we bless uh, is blessed, and we get to participate at the table koinonia, right, to, set, um, to participate with Christ. Now we move into this idea of table, which was awesome, and then we're going to move now into this idea of the gifts that we are given in, in Christ Jesus. And we're going to talk about that today and, and how that works. This whole series has been on what it means to be the church, and it's building toward that end. You can feel almost the, I would say, birthing movement of the church from its kind of own squabbling and brokenness and, and silliness into a gospel-oriented, uh, eternally focused missional organization or movement is probably a better way to say it, right? Like we kind of move from this pettiness of our own selfishness into the grandeur and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul has been proclaiming that in more and more uh, open terms to the church as they have gotten it wrong, as, honestly, have we so much of the time. We make the gospel far too small. And so now today we're going to kind of develop the next step of the idea. I, I would almost call it a theology of the table, that you come to the table not to be self-satisfied, but to glorify God. And I did want to stop on that one more minute and say this. That is always the goal of worship, to glorify God. It's always the goal. I was talking to a friend this week about uh, the awesome experience of having communion with you all last week. And I was like, it was something, and I wasn't saying this for any of you. Maybe you didn't have that same experience. But it was something of, it didn't, it wasn't about us. It was about Jesus and what Jesus did. And that's what worship ought to be. And too many, too many times, it ends up being about what we want, what we could use, how we could be. Instead of glorifying God, I'm convinced that if we gather together to glorify the name of Jesus Christ, to celebrate what he has done, in fact, for sinners like us, worship happens. That's the goal. 
And so um, what an awesome opportunity. We ought to always keep that in mind. And we'll keep that same thing in mind this morning as we explore giftedness and what it means to then live into this salvation that we've been granted in Christ's name. So we're going to do what we always do. We're going to pray for wisdom as we get into the word this morning. And then we're going to kind of walk through chapter 12, the beginning parts of chapter 12 this week on, uh, on your giftedness, which you might, might be surprised. You might be surprised this morning. Pray with me if you would. Father, we thank you so much for the chance to gather together in your name and to celebrate who you are. And Father, very much we sense this morning is an extension of the table, of, of being able to glorify you because of what your Son and our Savior has done for us. We, we uh, admit openly that we have not gotten this right, that we have not figured you out, but that you have instructed us through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you have come to us, that you have revealed your word to your people, that you've revealed your word to Paul to write to the church in Corinth, and, and, and their errors are our errors in so many ways. And now, Father, we get to um, learn from you again. We, we, we very much um, need you to be our teacher. And so, Lord, would you do that work for your glory? Would you glorify yourselves amongst your people? Would you set yourself aright as first in our heart that we could truly live this life in a manner worthy of you and your calling? Would you help us to do that? We ask this morning that whatever we got going on, and it's a lot, Lord, in our lives, that we would not become self-indulgent or self-focused. We would be listening to you for you to have for us today. And then, indeed, we could turn outside of ourselves into, um, into your kingdom, into your people, and, and into this world uh, as we proclaim good news with you. What an awesome thing. I don't take that lightly. Father, be our teacher. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we're going to jump into chapter 12. Uh, verse 1 on page 799. If you don't bring a Bible, you can grab one over at the end of the chair row. There should be one around you. If not, there's a few extra over here on this table. You can get up and grab those during uh, the service. By the way, I say this. I haven't said this in a while, but if you want to get up during the service, don't feel like you have to stay in your seats. You can walk back there and get things if you need to. Go to the bathroom. Whatever you got to do um, to, to be uh, comfortable and attentive is what we want. So we're going to uh, start here in verse 12. Now about spiritual gifts, uh, brothers... I know that when you were pagan, somehow or the other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. And you can see that Paul goes right, I said that he goes right from that teaching on the table. He says, you know, when I come, I'm going to give you further instructions. And he says, now about spiritual gifts. Now about spiritual matters. And the first point I want to make this morning is that the gifts we're going to talk about today are, in fact, spiritual gifts, right? And so that's the first thing we're going to say is that it's spiritual gifts, um, we're going to talk about what, what that means in these first four verses, but these are spiritual gifts that are linked directly to the table of Christ, linked directly to God himself. And these are not human abilities. This isn't natural talent. This isn't something you were born with, like when you were born biologically in this earth. This is a unique manifestation, and we're going to talk about that today, about spiritual gifts. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. And then here's this, the first point. You know previously when you were pagans, that's, that's worldly people, right? Finding your own way in worship, not worshiping the true God. He said, you found yourself influenced and led astray by mute idols, right? And so this idea of, um, of a false god is a god that cannot speak. I want you to catch that. This idea of a false god is a god that cannot speak, that has nothing to say. It's a, a powerless God, and that is not the God of Israel, and it's not, the, it's not Yahweh, it's not God, it's not our God. 
that we know. And so he says, you've been led astray in the previously, and I don't want you to um, be in error about this. Verse 3, therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And so this is kind of all Paul's introduction into um, this reality of spiritual gifts. But there's something interesting, and I always do this whenever I'm looking at texts. And by the way, I want to get a plug-in real quick for, if, you're a, uh, if you want to look in deeper into the texts, um, there's a site called Bible Hub. It is fantastic. I mean, you have to spend some time digging. But it is so good. I, I cannot believe the level of information available to us to study the Word of God. Um, I'm sure that it has to be unique in the time of man. I mean, these, these things uh, are, are at our fingertips, literally, uh, to study. And I was intrigued because I was looking, and in the text, it doesn't, it doesn't say gifts there in verse 1. It says, now about spiritual. I don't want you to be ignorant. It's like spiritual what, Paul? Spiritual things? Well, it picks up in verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, and that's the word, and it's charisma. And so he's like, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual and he says about non-spiritual things like mute idols, and then he goes on to say in verse 4, but there are different kinds of charisma amongst the people of God. There's different kinds of giftedness among the people of God. And so it's not unfair that in my translation here it says about spiritual gifts because it's tied into verse 4. As a matter of fact, another place I dug around to find it, another place you can find these directly linked is in Romans um, 1.11. And I'm going to turn there. You don't have to. But I want you to hear kind of some of the way that Paul links these, this idea of spiritual, that's pneuma, uh, charisma, uh, charisma uh, gifts, giftedness, grace, by the way. This is what Paul writes in the beginning of the book of Romans. I, I pray that now, at last, by God's will, a way will be made for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. That's the same idea. Uh, pneumatos, um, charisma. I'm going to quit trying. I'm going to try to get out of the Greek now. But I'm just saying, to make you strong. Remember last week we talked about the table of God and, you know, being weak when you don't come to the table. But it's strong. There's strength in Christ. And he says, I'm going to give you a spiritual gift so you can be strong. That is, and I love this, verse 12, that you and I could be mutually encouraged by one another's faith, right? So he's got that same idea tied in from, uh, in Romans as he has in 1 Corinthians, where he's like, it's about the body being strengthened together and these gifts uh, um, given uh, by God, these spiritual gifts, right? And so we have that in the very opening. I just want to say that as a bedrock, that these are not normal, these are not human in any way. These are absolutely spiritual divine gifts given by God to his people. And we ought to recognize that. Uh, one other thing I'll make a point of is in verse 3, he says this, therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God, so it's God's Spirit, right, is, is going to say Jesus is a curse. We're going to talk about that in a little bit later. But he says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so I just want you to see those two definers of the Spirit of God. And it's, first of all, it's God's Spirit, God's self, right? So the Spirit of God is not to be trifled with. It's not something that's uh, flippant or, be to, to, you know, at our manipulation. It's God, God's self. It's God's Spirit. And it's a holy spirit. It's not a, a carnal. It's not a worldly spirit. It's one set apart for the kingdom work of God, right? So those are some things we ought to understand as we enter into this conversation about spiritual gifts that are in the church. 
Okay, so with all that kind of basis in this idea of what it means to have spiritual gifts, um, we're going to now jump into some of the ways that, uh, what spiritual gifts uh, are in the church, right? And, um, and the first is this, they're not always obvious. Spiritual gifts are not always obvious. How do we, where do we get this from? Look at what he says right away. I do not want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be unknowing, right? What is his concern? His concern is for the church that they would know that God is an active God. If you read what he says next, that the pagan gods are uh, mute, you've been influenced and led astray by mute idols, you ought to be following God, but not a God who doesn't speak. You should be following a God who speaks. And this isn't always obvious to the church. God is a God who speaks. Paul makes the case in an inverse there, right? And so um, it's not always obvious to us. And it's, and it's not always obvious even, and this is striking because like I, I just read in Romans 1.11 where Paul says, I'm eager to come to you to impart some spiritual gifts to you because the church doesn't automatically understand that, that they've been gifted and called. Uh, so many times when we come to Christ, our experience of Christ is absolute salvation, deliverance from sin, and reborn. And then you kind of say, yeah, but now what, R Right? I mean, and you could just stay in that space and go, hey, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. That's awesome. But the reality is that in that new birth, we've been given gifts by God himself. And this text makes that point very clearly. But it's not always obvious to us. I wonder, do you think it's possible that God has gifted you in ways that you do not yet understand? Do you think it's possible that God has gifted you in Jesus Christ in ways that you do not yet know in your own life. How would you go about finding out what your spiritual gifts are, right? I remember whenever I was a new believer, um, I was attending a church, and they had a spiritual gifts, gifts assessment. It was part of a, um, getting involved in our church, right? And you took a little survey thing, and then it said, hey, you might, but it was really funny because it said, you might have these gifts, right? And... Uh, if nothing else, it opened up the possibility to us that we might have some gifts. We might have some gifts. And so today we're going to kind of talk through some of the gifts the Spirit gives. Um, and maybe you would ask that question. Are these gifts that God has given me? Some ways that you can maybe begin to discern is what does God awaken your heart toward? What does he drive you toward? What, what, are, the, what are the things you find yourself becoming passionate about? This could be a a mark of a spiritual gift. Um, here's another thing, by the way. What, what, what are some things, you know, Paul says that when we are together, we could be encouraged in one another's faith. What are some things that people may have said to you, like, man, you, you know, you are really a blessing in this particular way to me, right? You've really encouraged me in my faith in this particular way. Maybe there's some of that. Maybe you've never had anybody say that to you, and maybe you've never said that to anybody else. Maybe there's someone who you sense the grace and favor of God through. That's a gift, right? You've been given a gift from someone, and you haven't ever articulated that to that person. Do you know how much you've influenced me? A couple weeks ago, we talked about um, the people sitting around the table, right? The table of our spiritual development. And uh, what a blessing it is to go back and maybe say to those people, do you know how much you've impacted me? Do you know how much you've encouraged me in these particular ways? Those are awesome awesome things. The truth is that these uh, gifts, as I've said, are rooted in the very Spirit of God, right? That's where they come from. Okay, so with that in mind then, God is not a mute God. He's a God who speaks, right? 
As a matter of fact, you can recall, um, there's, um, this is a long-standing thing. This isn't a New Testament idea that God speaks, right? And, and this was always a bit of the, mm, the mockery that's happening in the Old Testament. And the, I don't mean mockery. I mean when people would mock the God of Israel, God would respond because he does not like mock, being mocked um, because it's offensive. And so he would respond to the people uh, in kind. All right. So then... What else do we know here? Uh, it's a sign, spiritual gifts, and this is interesting, are a sign of lordship in our life. A sign of lordship. And we're going to dig this out of verse 3. This is important to, to understand. Therefore, because of these things, that there's a God who speaks. Notice that, right? In verse 3, therefore, because you were led astray by mute idols that couldn't speak, you were influenced and being led by false gods, Therefore, now I tell you that no one is speaking by the Spirit of God when they say, Jesus be cursed. There's two statements here that are explicitly um, marked or, or prohibited um, based on the Spirit's involvement. Two confessions or professions that are limited by the Spirit. And the first one is that no one is going to say, Jesus is cursed, anathema, right, um, by the Spirit of God. And I thought, well, that's, that's interesting. What does that mean? No one is, that Jesus is an anathema. And, and, it, and this idea of um, that he's a, 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 a symbolic offering, that he's a, um, uh, this kind of weak, uh, useless um, intermediary, that, that he's some passive uh, uh, offering, right? As if it was something we could give to God and, and please God with, with Jesus ourselves, that we could bring him. It, it means to be laid up. Or uh, to be pledged to destruction. I've uh, had the pleasure to travel a bit in the world. And one of the things that I've seen that, um, and I'm going to, I just want to kind of honor God in this, but one of the things I've seen is I travel, I'm always interested in spiritual things when I travel. I, I find myself so intrigued to watch how humans, including myself, behave toward God or toward what they think is God, right? And so, as I've traveled in the, the uh, Central American countries, I've noticed there's lots of votives. Uh, lots of um, lighting a candle to a particular god or purpose. Lots of uh, trinkets, right? Lots of beads. I remember I went to a cathedral in Costa Rica, my first trips out of the country. And outside of the church, there was this huge wall of small trinkets that you could buy and that you could hang up. And, and it was a way to remind God of what you needed from God. And it was this thing. So if you needed some help with your arm, you'd hang an arm up there. If you needed help with your foot, you'd hang a foot up there. If you needed help with uh, uh, your whole body, you'd hang a whole body up there. They were just little bitty, and they were being sold. And then you could hang them outside of the basilica to remind God, right? And it was a votive offering. That's what that was. Why would it be a votive offering? Because you're going to leave it there. And you're you're going to trust God with that. You're going to leave it hanging there, and you're going to... Um, somehow that's going to remind God because he may have forgotten what you need. Or I was uh, traveling to Ireland, surprisingly enough, and uh, I went into a beautiful garden, and it was a, a, a labyrinth. It was a walking path of prayer, but there was grottos along the way. And, and what perplexed me was it was beautiful and well-maintained, and then there was these really uh, strange, bizarre, sometimes offerings that were left. These were definitely votive offerings. They were uh, a, a set of beads or they was, uh, there was a picture of someone 
or there was um, a small, let me just say this. When you take something that's made like in China and you put it outside in the weather for like, you know, five years, it gets weirder looking the entire time. Like a, a, a doll that's cute when it's like new is not cute after five years in the weather. That's what I'm saying. And, uh, and it was just some really, I'm like, what is this? this is, but that's what that is. It's a votive offering, right? It's somehow we're going to lay this up. And, and it's useless. It's useless. Not meaning, it, I understand there's some act of faith here, but it's you, I'm saying I'm going to leave this behind and I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to donate it to God. I'm not going to have it in my life anymore. And that's going to be my offering, my sacrifice, that I don't have to be involved. And then that somehow God's going to be pleased with that. Right? And what Paul says here is that that's not how Jesus is. I'm like, now wait a minute. Jesus is an offering for our sin, right? He is a sacrifice for our sin, right? But he's living and active. He's not dead. And we can't leave him on a shelf. We don't get to come and just put Jesus on the shelf and go, there you go. We're good now. We're going to go live our lives. And Jesus is going to hang out there. It also means to be cursed by God. That this offering that Jesus made was not uh, for God's sake. And so you can't, you wouldn't say that if you had the Spirit of God. If you have the Spirit of God, you begin to wrestle with the reality of the living God, Jesus Christ, who gave himself on the cross, died for our sins, and was and was. Um, raised to new life, and right now sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He's not a trinket. He's not a joke. And so in the Spirit of God, we begin to realize that. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. No one is able to say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul writes. And, that, and this is where we get this idea of biblical lordship, right? And this, I've told you before this, but it means that literally, uh, the text says, Lord Jesus, and it means no one can say Lord Jesus, and that means a master or a boss or an owner, a, um, someone who, I love this definition, it says, um, a person who exercises absolute ownership rights. Absolute ownership rights. You know, I think about this most often when we pray, when we, how we talk to God. Do we, when we talk to God, do we talk to him in such a way that we go, okay, I have an agenda for you now. I've taken some time from my day. I've got a few minutes because I've got to get going. But here's some things I need you to do for me. Right? Because that's not often how I would talk to my boss. I would not walk into my boss's office and say, hey, i got some things you need to take care of for me today. Here's the list. Get to it. That's not a lordship relationship. A lordship relationship could look a lot more like this. Um, I'm having problems at work. I'm not sure I'm going to get this done, but I'm going to do everything I can. I need your help, right? And whatever you say I should do is what I'm going to do. Here's my list of priorities. You tell me what you want me to work on today. That's more of a boss relationship, right? And the boss is like, I want you to focus on four and five. Don't worry about one, two, three right now. You're like, okay, okay, four, five. And then you go do your job, right? This is lordship. It's him exercising his absolute right authority over our lives. This is not Jesus on a shelf. This is Jesus in our hearts. This is Jesus in our lives. This is the Jesus that, that guides our steps, that directs our path. This is why we say this is about a relationship. Salvation is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not about following rules, but about being obedient to his call. About being obedient to the things that he calls us to. 
And so I wonder then, with this idea that spiritual gifts are a sign of lordship, it's a sign of submission to the Lord, um, how are you at submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life? I ask myself that question. How am I at submitting to his lordship in my daily life? The truth is, you can't submit to him without the Holy Spirit. See, we are a people of rebellion. I'm reminded of that all the time in my own life. I'm a rebellious people. I am part of rebellious people. And the truth is that without the Holy Spirit's inner involvement, I wouldn't submit to God on anything. But I'm called to submit to him for the things in my life because he is my Lord. Now, here is an interesting test, if you will. Um, can you say Jesus is Lord? And I'm like, okay, yeah, you can mutter the words. But do, do you live your life in a way that Jesus is Lord, right? Do you feel that burden to, 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 to his lordship, to his command? That is a sign to us that the, God, the Holy Spirit is working in us. It's a sign that we've been um, given gifts. And that's kind of a weird thing to say, but I, that's, that's really the truth. It's like, it's not about uttering the words like a safety, like, like safety words. Like, I can say it, so I must not, you know, I must be of the Spirit of God. It's like, no, to live out our lives in a way that Jesus is, in fact, our Lord. And not just a passive God on the shelf that we can do what we want with and ignore what we want and not be obedient to. But rather, someone that we're humbly submitted to, seeking after each day and really wanting to, to know more, to please more, to, to um, experience more. All right? And so we have that, that reality that it's a sign of lordship uh, in our life. This is why um, when we come to faith, I've had conversations. People often want to come to faith on their own terms. We don't get to. We don't get to. Uh, he is God. We are not. We come in humility and we receive the gifts he's given. We don't demand things of him because he is, in fact, the rightful owner, the Lord of our lives. All right? Cool. Verse, let's see, um, where are we at? Verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And there are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all people. So now we get into this sameness doctrine that Paul's going to get into. That, 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 that this is a unifying thing, the Spirit of God is a unifying thing. But the truth is that... Uh, what we pick up here is that the, the, the spiritual gifts are God, and this came a bit off of what we already talked about with uh, God who speaks, is the spirit, spiritual gifts are a sign of God actively working in our lives. His active work in our lives. And I want to break out these three things that they talk about, that Paul talks about here, to kind of make the articulation, but we're going to then drop in on, on the third. There are different kinds of gifts, that's charisma, but the same spirit, right? So different kind of, of um, graces that are given to the people of God. There are different kinds of uh, service, uh, but the same Lord. So there's the idea of lordship again, right? That's our obedience in doing. Um, I was kind of surprised that the first one's about gifts, the charisma, the favor of God given by the spirit of God. But this... This is interesting that he, these are kind of like lined up. There's three in a row, three in a row, the same. There's different kinds of this, but the same that, right? This and that. And it goes gifts, spirit, service, Lord, working, God. That's what I want us to catch out of this, right? Gifts, spirit, service, Lord, working, God. So gifts we talked about a little bit already, the charisma, right? 
the, the grace that God has given through the Spirit of God. But then the second idea here is there's a service, uh, and it means ministry. And if you really dig into it, it means to be thoroughly dusty because of lordship, to be covered in dust because of lordship. You know how you get covered in dust? Through obedience. You try things. You do things. You answer the call. And in that way, we get dirty because we're following the Lord Jesus. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing in the list is different kinds of working. But then the word says this, but the same God is actively working in all things. So there's different kinds of works, but all these works are the works of God among us, right? So again, this isn't a passive God. This is an active God. Uh, the, the, and, and this isn't a uh, a God that works in the past back there. It's a God who is working, has been working, and will continue to work in our lives, right? So it's this idea that uh, spiritual gifts are a sign of his continual working in our life, our, his continual presence in our life, the continual relationship we have with him. The same God. So he says, the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God. That's kind of how it breaks down, right? Active working in our lives. It's a sign that God has not abandoned us to ourselves, but he's with us, right? And I'll be one of the first to admit that this begins to get uncomfortable. It's like, well, now wait a minute. How do I see God actively working in my life? But we ought to be asking the question. We ought to be asking that question. Where is God actively working? Where is the energy of God, the results of God's efforts already manifesting in my life? Where are they? Because the same God is doing all these things in everyone. Different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all people. So then now you have this idea of like everything coming together, right? Now we're going to move on here. Verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And we're just going to stop there on verse 7 for a minute. So each person is given a gift is what the Scripture teaches. And, and that does mean that the idea there is each and every one. So a couple ways you can break this down. There's other places we can find it in the scripture. But it's like, it's, it's um, everyone has something and no one has everything. That's why I would say that. Everyone has something and no one has everything. But these gifts are uniquely manifest in the church. They're uniquely manifest. And I'm going to talk about why it's uniquely manifest and what manifestation means anyway. Because he's getting the words. It's like, oh boy, we're going to manifest some gifts, right? God's going to manifest gifts amongst his people, but they're uniquely manifest. Now, each one is given. The manifestation means the coming to light or making known of the Spirit, right? So, in our lives, there's a unique making known of how God is working. One of the problems too often in our, in our life is we will be in the church, and we'll look at other people and how they are responding and what God is doing in their life, and we'll say, well, I don't have that, so I must not be a Christian, or I must not... God must not, whatever you want to say about that, right? You're like, I should be, no, you should not be like that, right? It's a, a awakening or a coming to know or a getting to see what God is doing in your life. These gifts. And, and the reality is that they are uniquely uh, manifest. It's as if the scales fall off. It's as if we get to see, oh, wow. I do have gifts, I ha and my gifts are different than someone else's. And they're not different from someone else's by accident, but rather by design, you see? It's not about us looking at one another and saying, I should be just like you, or you should be just like me. No, 
We should be just the way God intended us to be. And we're going to get into that in just a moment. But they're uniquely manifest. Each one being given the gifts, the revelation of the Spirit of God. That should get us to pay attention. Well, how are they unique then? They're unique graces because each gift is unique. Each gift itself is unique, right? And so we're going to have a list in a minute. And we love lists. We get a list. We're like, yes, I got the list now. We can look. And these are, these are kind of, <coughs> excuse me, some of the broad brushstrokes maybe. There's other places. There's other gifts listed. But I'm not sure these are, this is an exhaustive list of the gifts of the Spirit of God. I'm not sure that that's true, right? I'm not saying you're going to go manifest some gift and you're, they're going to go write that in the Bible. That's a new one, you know. And Bob's gift, it came out today, right? But I am to say that we ought not to be so rigid in our thinking to think that God can't do whatever God wants by the Spirit. That as believers, we ought to pay attention to the, the unique aspect of the offerings that he makes, the unique graces that he gives, well, that's one way it's unique. But then here's the second way it's unique. It's because it's unique to the people. So even if you and I have the same general spiritual giftedness, the manifestation will be completely different. It will not be the same. So even if we have the same gifted, gift in some realm, it's not going to manifest in exactly the same way. So it's unique in the gift, and it's unique in the person, or rather in the believer through whom the gift is given. So these gifts are uniquely manifest. Okay? And then one more point here then in verse 7. Now to each one, every one, is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And for what purpose? Because this is something else we will get wrong. And it is given for what, does it say? The common good. That's what it's for. So spiritual gifts are given for the common good of the church. The common good of the people of God. The common good of all the rest of us. And this is why it's problematic in some ways whenever we sit back and don't think, well, I don't have any gifts to share because the church needs you to understand and begin to live out of your giftedness. The church needs you to be serious with God and say, God, well, how have you called me? How have you uniquely gifted me? And what would you have me to do because you are Lord of my life? You see that? There's like this progression idea, like the Spirit's given a gift. The Lord commands obedience. You know? Like he commands, not demands. He commands obedience. We have the opportunity to respond in obedience. And then God does the work. There's this progressive idea that we get to share the gifts that we have with one another for the common good. It means to bring together, to gather together. And Paul's been talking, and this is really interesting, and some of the threads that have been coming through 1 Corinthians, is that he's talking about worship in temples, and when we gather together, and what it looks like to have table together. Now he's like, and when you come together, there's gifts that are manifest among you. There's gifts for the common good. It literally means to bring something together, to carry something in the room together. Have you ever seen these, uh, this logo on a box? That's what it reminds me of. The Spirit of God, the gifts of God, are for team lift. That means if I show up at mine and I'm like, I'm going to do it by myself, it's not going to be the same. And if you show up at yours, you're like, you're going to do yours. But you're, no. But somehow together, we begin to elevate, to raise up the things of God, and to, there's a manifestation among us for his glory that we get to participate in. Have you ever carried something with somebody? None of you? Unbelievable. <laughs> of course you have, right? 
Have you ever carried something with somebody and you feel like they don't have the, their end? Do you ever feel that way? Are you even lifting over there? Right? I've had that experience before. Have you ever had the experience where you've not felt the weight on your end? Like, are you even, I'm, I'm not holding anything. Is this, have you had that experience? It's like super weird. You're carrying something really big and you're like, are you, what's, you got all the weight? Because I have no weight on my end, right? And this isn't about fairness. Have you ever carried something with a bunch of people? I've done this before. Um, I used to work as a mover and we would move furniture and uh, we always, we usually wanted two guys on something. Two guys. And maybe some equipment. Sometimes though, when you move with people who don't move often, they're like, here, let me grab the side of this. And so you're carrying a china hutch out, and they grab it in the middle, and they're twisting it. And you're like, whoa! And then someone goes this side, let me catch it. And then, but at some point, though, honestly, if you get enough people around it, it's really light. It is light. Right? Team lift. But it's all about that. Are we getting in it together? Are we, are we using our gifts together? Are we, and do we think that God's purpose for us is to share our gifts in a way that would be a blessing to other people. To be a blessing to other believers. To encourage them in their giftedness. Wait a minute. Is it possible that when the manifestation of the gifts is for the common good, is it possible that it's in order that people would understand that they are valuable too? That they have gifts to offer. That I need something from you. That you need something from someone else. And that we will not do this alone. This is some of the problem, I think, with the doctrine of abandoning the church of Jesus Christ. It's very popular right now. I'm saved. I don't need the church. And I'm not talking about, so let's get people in the room. I'm saying there's a real lifestyle of autonomy and independence in Christ. And it's rooted in some kind of rebellion. I feel it myself. And the Bible doesn't teach it. The Bible's like, no, you should be together. This is a team exercise. It's for the common good. It's for a brother or sister, maybe who can't carry their weight today. And you're going to show up with your gifts and bless them. It's an opportunity that God gives us. Okay? So it's for the common good. So now, Paul's going to turn then into the gifts. Listen to them. Starting in verse 8. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. And to another, the message of knowledge. By means of that same spirit. So there's going to be some structure here that's going to become obvious, right? A gift is given to an individual. It's a particular gift, but it's the same spirit giving it. So I'm just going to read that again. To one there is given to the spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by the same spirit. To another faith by the same spirit. To another gifts of healing by the, same, by the one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing between spirits. And to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of tongues. I'm going to go ahead and read 11 too, And then we're going to spend the rest of our time here. And, and these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. And so now we got the list. Right? We got the list. This is the list. The spiritual gifts. Which one do you have? The gifts of the Spirit, he lists. There, but there's an overarching principle we ought not to miss, which is it's the same Spirit giving the gift, and each one has been given a gift. So I want you just to catch that. To each one is given. Here they break down. A word of wisdom. 
a word of insight, a word of intelligence. There's, uh, there's, I've heard it said like there's a difference between uh, information and wisdom or, or, or knowledge and wisdom, right? But wisdom is like knowing how to apply what we know, what we've come to know. And so this is a gift of God. A, a, a wise person is one who can bring some perspective to what's being discussed. Uh, they might think a little differently than everyone else in the room. They may be a little slower to rush into things. Um, sometimes, but not always, wisdom comes with age. Not always, but sometimes. And so we have this opportunity then to have insight in these spiritual gifts. We can see things that others might not be able to see. This is why it's important sometimes if we're sitting around and we're talking about the things of God and you see something that no one has mentioned, you might ought to mention it because it could very well be a revelation from God, a spiritual gift manifesting for the good of the church. Word of wisdom, insight and understanding. The second then, same spirit, is a word of knowledge. And this is an understanding or a doctrinal truth, right? Some fact we should keep in mind. Don't, don't forget that we know these things. God can bring up a word of knowledge to us or, or, or give us a word of knowledge. We could understand something in a new way because of new information. These are gifts of the one and same spirit. Faith itself is a gift of the spirit, right? But faith, I thought, well, you know, how is faith in there? So some of people not given faith? Are some of us not given a gift of faith? Because if you're believing, you have faith, Right? But it's a particularized kind of faith, and it's the person who has a particular, uh, what do I say here, a strong belief, wait, a strong trust in what God is doing, or another way you can say it is a great confidence in God's ability to do it. So you can be a believer, and you can be believing, but still have a brother or sister come up to you and say, but you know God can do this, right? You know God will do this, right? Like, and that's a gift of faith. I've often had people in my life remind me of my lack of faith at times. That's a spiritual gift. Yes, don't forget, the God who is able is among us. He is the one who's leading. He is the one who saves. And that faith, that bold proclamation faith is a gift to the church, to those around them. So there's the manifestation of the same, that one and the same spirit. Next one says uh, it's a, uh, a healing grace or a healing gift, right? It's to bring a cure or remedy to a problem. And I think we often do think, and it's right to think this, for a physical ailment, you're going to heal me. I'm going to get a, a miraculous healing from you. And we do pray at Family Bible Church for healing. We do. We don't pray that flippantly. We pray sincerely. And we ask God, God, would you bring healing into this person's life when there's a problem? And yet, we know that there are many ways that God brings cures and remedies to our situations. There's many times that we get healing from other people. It's a gift or a grace from them. And it's interesting, by the way, that he, this is where that word is re-mentioned, the idea of gifts. So it's a true grace to be healed in that moment. And I will just say this. It's not always physical. It's not always physical. But we can have a ministry of healing that the Lord can bring. What... Have you ever known a person who has a healing giftedness? That, that even if you leave them and nothing has really changed, you feel better after talking to them. That could be a gift to the Spirit of God, a, a healing grace, that, you have, that they've helped you somehow deal with your situation, even when the situation doesn't change. That's a healing grace, a gift from our Lord. 
The next is uh, working of miracles. And this is the idea of the effect of power. Same idea that, that, that said earlier that God is doing the work amongst us is the same word here, right? And so it's the very work of God being done in a miraculous way uh, through a gift of the Holy Spirit. That God does something that anyone would believe is not possible, and yet God shows up and does it. Another gift. Here's, here's one, prophecy. We, we often will hear of prophecy. People prophesying, and what does that look like? Even Paul has written in the book of the Corinthians already about prophesying and gatherings and what that should look like. Prophesying means communicating or reinforcing revealed truths, right? To speak truth in a moment of need, to, to say the things that need to be said, is prophetic, a prophetic word. And it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. I'll say this. It can be about the future. It doesn't have to be about the future. It's very often about the present, about what's happening right now. We often think of the prophesying, and it's some kind of like, in thousands of years, this is what will come to pass. And it's like, okay, maybe that could be something God does. But often, it is, do you know what God's doing right now? Or, what is God doing right now? See, prophecy asks that question. It's communicating what God is doing in a practical way, in the moment, and beyond. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. The next is a distinguishing of spirits. I love this because the simple way you would say this is discernment. <laughs> a brother or sister with discernment is a great gift to the church. Discernment of what? Not just anything, but of spirits. Because not all spirits are of God. And there is a presumption, and I am guilty of this often, where I don't have good discernment on what is of God and what is not of God. And I will presume things to be of God when it turns out they're not of God. Not in any egregious way, but it happens. So what do I need? A brother or sister who goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you sure? I'm like, well, maybe, maybe, no, maybe not. I'll slow down, right? The gift of discernment is a huge gift in spiritual life. Make no mistake, the Christian life is spiritual warfare, and we are always in the battle. The truth is to have someone that could come and help us discern or judge the spirits rightly is a great gift to the church. And then the, the next one is the, the giving of tongues. or the, I, I wrote it down this way, the birth of tongues. It's a manifestation of tongues, but interestingly enough, it's this idea of a family race or, uh, or a nation of people, right, a speaking but I also don't think it excludes the idea of divine speaking. So I think both things are caught up here in the text. And that's why we get into whole... This, so what's funny is we got all these gifts, right, that we've listed. But then we get caught up in this one particular gift and how God manifests it amongst his people. But first of all, it's one gift. And secondly, the, the, in the text, it's caught up in there a little bit. It's speaking to nations. It's, it's being able to use the language of nations to communicate, Right? But it also can mean to, um, to speak the very words of God, right? To, to communicate in a God-honoring way that might be a unique language. Because it simply means language, tongues, language, glossa. And so, but it's the, um, uh, the birthing of tongues, right? It's, it's the people. It's something to do with how we are made that we have to communicate the gospel. And then... The, the, the last one listed here, Paul, this is, is then the interpretation of tongues. And that's the translation. And it's the exact same idea of languages. And so it can be of a divine language. It could also be of a human language. It could literally be translating uh, 
by the Spirit of God. I've heard stories of missionaries who can't speak a foreign language being able to speak or interpret language. Although, to be honest with you, I've sat in services in other languages and I've prayed for discernment and had no clue what's being said. And I've even studied the language a little bit. <laughs> and they go so fast. I'm like, I can't keep up. I'm like, God, give me divine wisdom. Is this of you or not? Give me a discerning spirit, right? But that is a gift of God that we could interpret, uh, translate, or explain the very tongue. As a matter of fact, Paul's going to make a case about this later, about a rightness in, in worship and ordering in worship. All these things, then, are, the, are some of the manifestations of the Spirit. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given, and then he lists them out there, right? So that's what we just went through. That's the list that he gives. But look at what he says in it, verse 11. And this is key. All of, all of these are the work of one and the same spirit. And so we come back to this overarching principle that spiritual gifts are the work of one spirit. That's not it. That is it. <clears throat> oh, yeah. This uh, common good, this is what it reminds me of. It's, it's the idea of a team lift, but it's like extended. And it's this. It's a symphony. Have you ever seen a symphony play? We had a, a three-piece band this morning. The more people get up here, the more complex things get, but also the more beautiful they can be, right? And so you have all these people, and they each have their own part to play. And if you've ever listened to one person play their part, um, it might be uh, not great. It might be not great. Do you ever think about the, the parent of the tuba player, right? Do you ever think about the, I've been a parent of a couple of drummers. They play snare in the house. <laughs> uh, do you ever think about the, play, the parent of some of those things that work, like a saxophone or a clarinet, trumpets. You can get a lot with a trumpet, right? But these are different. But still, when you put them all together, they all get up there, and they're performing their best, right? It's uh, for the common good. And that's um, the same exact word in Greek here is the word we get symphony from, a symphony orchestra, a coordination amongst the people for a better thing than any of them could do uh, individually, right? But, like I said, this is work, the work of one and the same Spirit in verse 11, right? All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And so, everything that's being done is being done for a purpose by someone. And this is the next thing that we ought to be mindful of, is that it's not just an orchestra doing whatever you want. Have you ever been there early for the orchestra and everyone's just playing? And it's just noise, Right? It's kind of nice, isn't it? Because everybody's not really playing out, and it's just kind of got this like, nice little vibe to it. But then all of a sudden, someone walks up, and they step, step up there, right? <clears throat> they have those goofy tails, maybe. I don't know. And then they, they tap, and everyone stops. What's that? In the church, that's the Spirit of God. That's the Spirit of God. That's this guy. See? See, a minute ago, he was doing this other thing. Like, look at these people, how good they are at music. And then he's like, and I conducted them. Yes? And all of a sudden, the cacophony of noise, all these little things, get coordinated into a moment, and it's like, da, 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 da. And, and you're going, wow! Right? But what's this guy, what's this girl doing? Just calling forth the music from the people. Right? The Spirit of God functions 
in that way. It's one spirit. It's the spirit that everyone's tuned into and listening to. And I've been practicing my instrument. And I know I have a gift to share. And I'm going to be obedient to you. And I don't even understand it. When you say, eh, I'm going to eh, And you say, eh, I'm going to eh, And that's what's going to happen. Every time you point, I'm just going to do that thing because you told me to do it. And somehow the coordination by the very spirit of God becomes beautiful music and a gospel witness in the world. Can you imagine sitting there and the points to you and you don't play? Nope. 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 Maybe you're sitting there in the seat. I'm not sure why I'm even in the seat. I don't have an instrument. Right? He's going to point to me. I'm going to sing. You know, what's going to happen? No, it's the same spirit that gives the gift, is coordinating the gift. It's one and the same spirit. Last point. Why? It's right there in verse 11. All these manifestations... All these gifts of the church, all these things that God has given to each one of you are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each just as he determines. The truth is, it's for God's purpose. It's for God's purpose. Two ways we can look at this. First of all, he gives us the gifts he wants us to have. We ought not look at other people and go, I wish I had that gift because God gave that gift to them for a reason. But we all say, God, what gift did you give me? What gift would you have me to use, to exercise, to practice? And then the second is this. So that's one way we look at it is it's for God's get, purpose in giving, but it's also for his purpose in use. It's not just that he gave you the gift he wants you to use. He wants you to use the gift he gave you. The Spirit gives gifts that he wants us to have for his purposes in the church and in the world. He gives us these gifts. And we get to participate with him in this. So I want to ask a question. What gift has God given you? Or what gifts has God given you? Second question. Why? Why did he give them to you, not somebody else? Why did he trust that gift to you? Why maybe right now is he bringing it to mind and saying, this is the gift? Third question. So what do you do with it? How do you use it? How do you use the very gifts that God has given you? Maybe, maybe you have one gift. So what? How do you use it? How do you, just, in obedience, use that for God's glory? Maybe you think you have more gifts. Maybe you have a bunch of gifts. How do you use them? For God's glory. This is the gift that this manifestation of the gifts is given to the church to glorify Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced until we all begin to participate in our ways and just dig into that, it, we won't fully know what God has for us. We won't fully experience the things that God has. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much today for the truth that you are the one who is conducting and gifting in our lives. We thank you so much, Father, that you have saved us from sin and you've delivered us from the very gates of hell that you've brought us into your kingdom. And that's a miraculous and glorious thing. And now you have us. You could have taken us home the minute we came to faith, Lord. But now we're here in this life in faith. And when we, we want to live into the giftedness you've given to us, we want to know your plans for us. 
We want to experience and be obedient to the unique and particular ways that you've called us to glorify you in our lives. And Father, as much as we are drawn to spectacle and we're drawn to outrageous things as people, it seems, I pray that we would never diminish the small acts of faith, that we would always be attentive to the, to the great and small ways you're working amongst us as your people. Lord, for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we give you thanks and praise. I pray for brothers and sisters who are there this, here this morning and thinking maybe they don't know where their giftedness is, or maybe they have gifts, but they're unsure how to use them. Father, would you lead them in their lives in a way? Would you impart to them your understanding for their obedience to your lordship? Oh, Lord, would you work amongst your people for your glory? We thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to gather together as your people. But now we want to be equipped and go out and use the gifts you've given us. Help us to do that this week. Help us to be willing to be uncomfortable and to pursue you anyway to know you better. We love you so much. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who bought us not just redemption, but life. We give you praise for him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.